Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hell of a time in the first pitch tonight. 7-10. First pitch tonight from Fenway Park as the uh, Jays take on the Boston Red Sox. The first of three games, you say Kikuchi against Nate Uvalde. The other pitching matchups, uh, Wednesday, Jose Barrios against Nick Pavetta. Mm-hmm. Thursday in the series finale, Kevin Gossman takes on Tanner Houck. We'll be on right before the uh, Thursday game, pregame show. Blue Jays are getting power, a big yacker, and a sinker, elevated four-seamer. So it's going to be a little something They got the Red Sox different. right where they want them. Win series. Ah, we'll that be talking about, about? Yeah, t- Take two or three. Two or three is good. Two or three is <laughs> fine. They'll tell you what they think about the, whenever we see the lineup. What, yeah. they, th- what they think about that day's game. <laughs> That's true. It'll be interesting seeing tonight's lineup. Uh, oh, whether on. it's the day off yesterday. White flag lineup or, well, you know, the khakis, day off. Yeah, that plane ride. It's a, it's a, That's tough, you know, sitting tough. on that private jet. Mo Vaughn is a Red Sox analyst with Nesson. He is also, of course, a former American League MVP. We're very pleased that he's taken time out of his busy schedule to join us on Blair and Barker. Mo, thank you for doing this. As always, uh, we uh, we appreciate your time. We trust that you're doing well. Um, the Jays are going into Fenway tonight. Now they're six and four, but they're right-handed hitters in particular. Well, they're a right-hand heavy lineup, so I don't even need to say that. But I think most people would look at their lineup and say, other than Vladdy's home runs, they've kind of had a difficult time getting it going and, and getting on the same page. And I got to ask you, for a team that is scuffling offensively, not doing much with runners in scoring positions, some right-handed hitters are, who are still a little late, can Fenway Park be a bit of an asset to them as a visiting team? Well, I think the way, uh, first and foremost, it's 10 games. 10 games is a very, very small litmus test of what's going on. People, I don't know, I think Toronto started on the road. It's cold. Um, it's, it's, you know, they're coming out of spring training. Uh, they will get going. I, 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 you know, Toronto was one of the last teams I think you're going to have to worry about when this thing gets into, you know, after the All-Star breaking down the down the stretch. I think they're going to be a formidable, and I think they're going to do what, they, what, they're, what they're capable of doing. <clears throat> In terms of coming to Fenway Park, just stay on the ball as a right-handed hitter. Try to hit the ball, center field to the bullpen. Usually, you know, you know, Red Sox pitching are going to throw right-handed hitters in off the plate to show them and try to get them out, get them, get them out of the way. That's just the way that it is. So just stay calm in these situations. A lot of you know, I you know, I played with you know, played with a lot of these, played against a lot of these dads. Some of the dads, I you know, we had the same kid, mm-hmm. same hitting coach, so I know what they're thinking. You know, one other, one other, you know. Dad, I played with. I played with in college, so I know his style. But just let the game come to you. You know, nobody's hitting right now. Yankees are hitting. You know, Sox are starting to hit a little bit. Orioles are doing what they're doing. So I think everybody's in the pretty much the same spot right now. 
Mo, when you when you were a player, you're a great hitter. Early in the season, April, May, a little bit of May, obviously. What was? Did you have a different approach at the plate? You know, it's trying to get uh, acclimated to who you were as a hitter, trying to get the foot down. Was there a different approach early in the season than there was a couple of months into the season? Well, absolutely. I think you know, I had a plan that I wanted to get to 200 at bats and be hitting a high average as quickly as I, as I could. So I want a lot of base hits early. It's cold anyway. Because you know, once you get up to that 200 at bat mark, your average is not going to move that much. Whether you, you know, you drop some days or you're not. So really at that 200 mark, you want to be hitting 320, 330 because you know, you know, you, 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 you got some chances to make some mistakes. So early in the season, I just wanted to get on the ball get my hits, get my base hits. It's cold. You know, um, it's just one of those things where just trying not to do too much. It's easier said than done. I knew that from, from me personally, if I walk to home plate 600-plus times, I'm going to get my 30 and 100 and do, and do my job. And that's how I looked at it. Yeah, that's why you're a great here. But I got to ask you, do you hmm. think that's a little tougher to have that approach for a younger team, say like the Blue Jays, to have that approach early in the season and not try and press too much. Listen, I you listen. It's it's all about coaching. You know, I had a great hitting coach. Mike Houston was a great hitting coach for me. I think you got to break the game down in in very very granular terms, in terms of what you got to do and break that down in your mind mentally. You got to, you know, it's a six-month season. That's a long mountain. It's a big mountain to climb. And you got to take it in short bites and, and just be consistent and stay on it and know, you know, you know, and know that, you know, you're going to get there, you know, in the end. Listen, as, as young as these guys are, also, though, these guys are starters. They're not, they're not vying for jobs. They got jobs. They know that they're now going into the second and third spring training as full-time starters and you know that's to be commended all in itself they're not going to spring training worrying about trying to make the team they are the team so just break it down keep it simple and just take the take take it month by month what do i need to do month by month to put in a good season you know to put in a good six months now, I know it's very early in the season, as you mentioned, 10 games in, but what is your read on Trevor's story, and what do you think he will ultimately bring to the Red Sox lineup? Listen, I think he's, he's always been a great player where he was. I think he's, 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 he's tough. You know, he's got, he's got the mindset. Just got to go out there and play. You know, once he gets his feet on the ground, you know, he's there, he's home, he's Fenway Park, you know, all of that stuff. All those things are going to drive him and make him a better player than he was where he was, you know, in the past. So I look for him to have a have a great season. He's got a great mindset. I think he's going to fit right in. Mo, whenever we were watching the Blue Jays early in the season, they faced some guys they'd never faced before. The bats didn't look, you know, like they, I think, expected it to go. I want to ask you for a guy that's been around forever, and I'm, I'm sure you've went through some times where you face guys that you had no idea what it looked like, the, the fastballs, the breaking balls, how they, how they would try to get you out with two strikes. How, what's the approach with guys that you don't know? Is, is that a hard approach? Is that I think you may have answered a little bit of that by you know breaking it up in, in certain 
parts of seasons and how you're trying to do, but what's the challenges of facing guys that you don't know? It's a challenge, um, but it's also part of it. When you walk to home plate, you have to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, it's going to be it's going to be very very tough to be consistent. What side of plate are you taking? What side of plate are you going to give him? You can't when you're hitting. You can't cover both sides of the plate, so you've got to pick one. So, you know, how is he trying to get you out? You know, can he throw the fastball by you? What's he going to do with men in scoring position? All these things have to be accounted for when you're walking to home plate, and it's a mental, mental, you know, thing in your head that you have to have to go through. But you have to have a plan. If guys are are, are early in the count. You know, try to get that fastball established away. Get on that fastball. If you're a power hitter, they're probably going to back you off and get you out slow away. It's it's just it's just a constant progression. You pull a pull a couple balls for home runs in one series. The next series, I get damn near promise they're not going to be going there. Mm. So those are the things that you have to think about as a hitter and as a as a batting coach and all these different things. How well are you hitting? What are you hitting? Are you hitting the fastball? Are you staying on the breaking ball? Are you hitting strikes? How are the guys hitting behind you? What the situation is, what the situation is when you're coming to the plate? All these things have to be accounted for when you're when you're walking home plate. Mo, in addition to being a, a, a really good hitter, Vladdy has become a very comfortable first baseman. I know there was talk this year that, you know, Freddie Freeman joins the Jays. They may move him to third. I don't know how many people really uh, really took that seriously, but um, what do you what do you look for as someone who played that position? What do you look for to define a good first baseman? Like if I said Mo, tell me what a good first baseman has to do. A good defensive first baseman. How would you how would you build that first baseman, or how would you describe him? First of all, I always say first base and catcher are the two positions that you only amplify when something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Those are two positions that when they do things wrong, you're like, oh, my God, look at that. So for a first baseman, the main quality that you have is, and especially over there using that astral turf, you got to be able to pick up your fielders when they're throwing the balls, short hops in. they got to be comfortable. They can put that ball in that area near you, and you're going to make the play. That's the first and foremost. Oh, I think for the first time, my sophomore year in college, mm-hmm. I didn't get comfortable until 1994 playing the position. Hmm. So it becomes instinctual. You're moving. You're 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 using the bat, using your feet. <laughs> you're picking. You're doing all these different things. That it, it just you end the play. You're the last. You end the play on TV. And you just want to make sure that your your fields are comfortable. If they got a short hop something, you're going to be there, be there to pick it for them. Mo, now the, the early in the season you mentioned it was you know we're only ten games deep here, but we we start and tried against these good teams, pick little things that if they do well, right, it'll take them to the next level. With the Blue Jays, right, it's the rotation getting their feet wet, trying to figure out who they are, maybe who's protecting Blatty because Teoscar's hurt. Is there one part of the Red Sox game that you look at and go, if they can just get that, you know, figured out, they're going to take off? It's Listen, it's always 
pitchers love when you score runs. You always play better defense mm-hmm. when you're hitting well. It's just getting that offensive flow going from that top of that order to the third, fourth, or fifth spot, how that order shakes out. I still don't understand why the best hitter hits second in 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 these batting orders. All my life, you know, I played and I watched the best hitters usually hit third. And, you know, you get those first two guys on that really know how to handle the bat. I mean, you think about the Blue Jays in 1992 and 93. Who they have batting first and second? Them guys were on the base. Alomar was batting second. Devon White let off. And it was just terror they caused. But there's a new analysis right now where they feel the best hitter should be second. And I think that really hampers hampers lineups. But the main thing is <clears throat> for the Red Sox is to just figure out who's going to be consistent, occupying those bases, taking your walks and letting those big guys come up and deliver when they have to. Mo, can the, can the Red Sox get through this year without the contractual issues of Devers and Bogarts you know, becoming, becoming a talking point? Listen, that's always going to be an issue until it's done. But I think, I think new management that the Red Sox have, you know, and ownership, they seem to really understand how to do these things far better than when I was playing <laughs> when I was playing there. I think they know how to how to work. Um and I don't think that they like using the media to drive contract situations. If it happens it's some gonna sometimes gonna be happening. Right. But I think they really want to create a a atmosphere that is good for the players to be successful. And I think they go about their business that way and I think that's why, you know, these things don't get so contentious and, and there's so, so much angst and anger after the fact. But I think they know how to handle it well as an organization, which gives the team the, the, the players an opportunity to be their best, and then they define themselves, you know, when the contract comes up. Mo, really good of you to join us today. Terrific insight. Yep. Thanks so much, my friend. Be well. Great stuff. Thank you. All right. Good luck, guys. Thank See you. See you later. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> My God, that guy could play baseball. Man, I look, I, there's certain people you can sit down and talk about hitting all the time. Yeah. Like, I could have talked about hitting with him all, I used to all love, day. I used to love watching him play. I mean, he was just, uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he he's Mo Vaughn, you know, and he, man, he, he, uh, he, he just, he was such a mainstay on those Red Sox teams and just went through so much on those Red Sox teams. And it was interesting hearing him talk about how ownership now and this management group in Boston, and I, and I love the way he put it, doesn't involve the media in contractual mm-hmm. issues because Boston used to be a freaking nightmare for that. I mean, sure. you would have general managers who would, who would admit uh, that they use the media to drive an agenda when it came to a player and his contract. Conversely, sometimes happens players use the media mm-hmm. and player agents use the media to drive the agenda. But Mo is right. It is, you know, we still, we talk about it with the Yankees and Aaron Judge. We talk about it with the Red Sox. I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody. I asked, I think we've had three Red Sox guests on so far, and I've asked them, is this issue going to be a, a distraction? And people say, well... You know, it, I mean, we had Tony Maserati on yesterday. It's Boston. Yeah, it's going to be a distraction. But I, but I think that, 
I think front offices, I think front offices handle this a little, a little differently now than, than they have in the past. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, winning keeps a lot of those issues at bay. Yeah, right? and if they're doing well, like if, it, the, if the player's doing well, yeah. it's not going to be an issue. If they're doing, if they're not doing as well Freddie as they Freeman, think they should be Freddie doing. Freddie Freeman was a free agent basically all of last year. Sure. And, yeah, Alex was asked about it. Freddie was asked about it. Brian Snicker, the, the, the Braves manager, was asked about it at times. But it didn't become an issue because the Braves were winning. Uh-huh. You know, once the Braves started started winning and started looking towards the World Series, it's... I, I think I think there's so much money in the game now, and this is why I don't I know there's still this thing with the Jays, this concern about Bo and Vladdy. There's just so much money in the game right now. I really do think guys realize that ultimately they are going to get theirs. And um I just don't think it I it's not that it doesn't matter to players or agents anymore. But I just don't think it's it's as as much front of mind as we might think it is. Yeah, I think Devers and Bogart's got a little to prove defensively because if you're going to pay Devers as much money as Devers wants, is he a first baseman? Is he a third baseman? Yeah. He probably make more money being a third baseman. And it may be athletic. different for Bogarts because look, Bogarts can look over. Trevor Story could play shortstop for them next year. Uh, maybe. Will he make as much money being a second baseman? I'm not sure. It's, it's more intriguing to have a shortstop who can get cleaned up for you and drive in a hundred runs. It really is. Yeah. Just because as he's saying we're, he's the quarterback of the team, it's a little different when he's the second baseman. You get paid differently because second baseman's not the quarterback on the field. That's the whole thing. So they do have a little something to, to prove. I just listened to Mo Vaughn there talking. I was thinking to myself, man, Vlad, Vladdy would have a conversation with Mo, a person like Mo mm-hmm. Vaughn, just knowing how to have an at-bat with, with a guy that's trying to pitch around him. That's not an easy at-bat. To walk to the plate knowing that guy wants nothing to do with me, but the manager don't have the nerve to put four fingers up. Right. So he's still asking that pitcher to pitch around him. How do you have that bet? I think Vladdy knows how to do that. I know Vladdy is an unbelievable hitter, but do you think he knows how to do that? Having a guy that's old, that's been there and done it before, who's been pitched around? Could how you- many people around the, on the Blue Jays team has been pitched around? That's the things. It's, it's that veteran guy that's stuck in there that you know that's been there and done it before. Is that sort of what they're missing it, a little? It's interesting hearing hearing Mo talk about his approach early in the year when the weather's cold and everything. <laughs> try to get those two Average up. Try to get your average up. Hit to the opposite field. Yeah. Like, just do whatever you can. Try to get one hit. Go, go one for three every night. Draw a walk or something like that. Or two for four. Draw a walk. It's That is kind of a different way of explaining what you need to do to a hitter than simply saying, go to the opposite field, go to the opposite field, go to the opposite field. The idea of try to put the ball in play, try to get a hit through those first 200 at-bats, just try to get as many hits as possible. And then weather warms up, you're more in a groove more, the hitters around you are in a groove more, now you can start. Be honest with me, Springer looked like he's those. just trying to get a hit. This bow look. Like he's just trying to get a hit. Yeah, and, and, Vladdy a lot of the time looks like he's just trying uh, to get a hit. Uh, no, uh, you could say no. No, I did not. No, uh, Springer does to me at times. At times, he Springer looks to me the like, hip like okay. he's trying to get his pitcher taken. I don't know. I, I just I, I've <laughs> seen I've seen I, I've seen instances early in the year where I think these guys are just. I mean, that, that that one game against Texas, that one beginning they had against Texas, all they did was opposite way, opposite field, opposite field, opposite field. I mean, I see signs of it every now and then. The guy that I really see is Lourdes. Like, you look at what Lourdes has mm-hmm. done in the cleanup. Thought. Lourdes is trying to get a base hit. Yeah. Looks to me like he sure is just comfortable getting a hit. 
up the middle the other way. Instead of, instead of going up and trying to hit a home run, and the thing you notice with Lourdes, and Buck pointed this out, teams play him straight up. Yeah, they don't have a choice. They don't shift against well, Lourdes. And you got to remember, too, a lot of the times when he comes up, there's a lot of traffic on the bases. It's, a, it's real hard sometimes to shift the way the teams want to shift when there's traffic. Right. Because there's certain places that guy's got to be, and he can't be You're there right. if he's in the drastic shift and standing in the grass. And so there's, you know, there's there's certain situations. But just listen to Mo talk about the way he attacked early, the way, and it's very intriguing to listen to him talk about people he's never faced before. Just uh, basically splitting the plate in half. You can't cover the entire thing. You think a young kid who's got the talent that these guys have got can buy into saying, "I can't do something." You walk up to Bo Bichette and say, hey, you can't do this. He'd look at you like you had four heads. Like, that's that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. It's true. The more you buy into that and say, I can't cover the entire thing. I got to split in half till I get to two strikes, and then I got to fight. I got to compete. But until then, I'm hunting mine. Do you think they're capable of doing it? I'm not saying they're not unbelievable hitters. I'm just saying when they start buying into what Mo just mentioned, and he's a great hitter. He figured it out. It just yeah, but he also he, he it was something. He also admitted it took him a while to figure it out. Uh, too. Well, we talk about hitters differently now than we did when Mo played. We do. That's all. Do you like what he said about playing first base? That that you when you hit you you play no, defense better. No, that 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 you it's know the most you, important two spots on the field: catcher and first base. No, the the just the, the fact that you want to you want to give your infielders confidence that they can throw the ball the ball. You know, pretty much any place, and you're going to make a play on it. Yeah, that's why you see Vladdy out there doing all the early work, taking throws. You know, the the taking throws is a big deal. It's his almost game, as big a deal as taking ground balls. Has his has his play at first base come farther than a lot of people think it is? Like more, it seems the more to he me, hits, the better he'll play first. It seems to me mm-hmm. we don't talk, we don't notice it that much anymore, do we? We don't notice Vladdy at first. We don't have those moments. At least I don't have those moments where I go Ugh. when the pop when the pop up goes up and he has to run over in the little he foul seemed, territory in Fenway. That those he are, seems those, to make those plays. Oh, uh, he's more confident because uh, there's two things: he's hidden and he's done enough work with Louis Rivera off the field, and he's in better shape. He looks better. He, he puts his arms in the better. air. He doesn't yeah. look heavy anymore. Like he feels better. Just his appearance is better. His confidence is better. He's raking. He's got five homers already in nine yep. games. Like everything that's he should be doing as a big leaguer, he's doing. And now that first base thing, he's just going out there letting him. I'm gonna be there. Throw it to me. I'm a big target. I'm gonna catch it. That's that's pretty cool. Brad Lidge is an MLB Network radio host. He is a former MLB closer. Brad Lidge will join us next. You're listening to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The fan, you're watching us on Sportsnet 360, and you can get us wherever you get your favorite podcast. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seven ten will be the first pitch tonight. The Jays will take on the Boston Red Sox at Fenway Park. Nathan Yavaldi for the Red Sox. You say Kikuchi for the Jays. Had a couple of people ask me in social media if they need to light a candle ahead of Kikuchi's start. Not yet. Not yet. We're not in full candle lighting territory with you, say Kikuchi. 
but Barker says we are. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Uh. Let, let's let's you know that that's we reserve that for for special special occasions. Uh, not yet. Not yet. I don't like you that you get to make the call on that. No, it's just that's a, what I don't it, like. It's just the thing. I mean, I, let's yeah, let's see what the guy. Let's see what the guy brings to the table. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, I can't sit here and tell people that give these guys a couple of starts before you overreact and then overreact to what I've seen from Kikuchi so far. Like I said, the velo was up the last time. That's good. Step one, velo. Okay. Now we know that Pete Walker, the Jays pitching coach, has had a chat with him and said, stop throwing the cutter. Start throwing that yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I don't think you can do that as a as a big league pitching coach, but you can say stop doing this, stop which, is, which is stop shaking, stop don't, shaking to the cutter all the time. Don't, well, stop shaking to to something else that don't make any, any sense. It could be the cutter, it could be the slow that thing that's cement mixer. I have no idea what that thing is, but whatever it is, trust your stuff. You got good stuff if you put it in a good spot. You're going to get people out. Yeah, especially in cold weather. You know, like come on, it's supposed to be cold in Boston today. Oh, it's tonight. Not. I don't know if it's going to be cold, but it ain't. It's not going to be like summertime temperatures. In the hands a little bit. So this all be made easier if they score a bunch of runs. <laughs> score runs. Wow. Brad Lidge is MLB is an MLB Network radio host. He's also a former MLB closer. His uh, Twitter handle is Sliders and Saves Fifty Four, which is uh, one of my favorite Twitter handles. Ever. He joins us on uh, Blair and Barker. Brad, thank <laughs> thanks so much for joining uh, for joining the pair of us today. As always, yeah, we appreciate your time. Hey, you know, we talked we we've kind of spent a lot of time talking about how it's going to take a while for starting pitchers to get acclimated to the shortened spring, compressed spring, et cetera, et cetera. Guys aren't built up, et cetera, et cetera. What about for closers? What about for closers? Does it take – Yeah. Is this a different year for, for closers because of the shortened spring? Well, what's, what's funny is, is, you know, relievers in general, I think – actually, probably, I say in general, I almost think maybe to a man will tell you that uh, six weeks of spring training is too long. That they don't, we don't want to be there. We can move on after four weeks, and it's fine. And we just need to make sure we can throw our, you know, our back-to-back outings or our, uh, you know, inning plus outing, uh, and you know, a few more handful of other outings, and, and you know, maybe some games on the backfield, games against live competition, and boom, we should be good. But you know, one thing I came to learn, I think, as I went on in my career, is that you know, despite feeling that way mentally physically there is something that isn't quite locked in uh if you're cutting yourself a little bit short so instead of getting those you know maybe 10 to 12 outings in spring training uh, maybe some are in the backfield some are you know against live games you're 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 cutting that down a decent amount and even though mentally you might feel like you're about 100 percent um i would argue that there's about two or three outings you actually need to really be at 100 percent uh before the season starts because uh, it, it's tough to just make that jump from 90 to 100 percent. And, you know, listen, when as far as the closer goes, when, when the lights go on and you're you know throwing in front of 40,000 people, 30,000 people and everything's on the line and the numbers count and they go on the back of your baseball card, and it's all for real. There's definitely a jump of adrenaline and certainly a jump uh, up to that 100 percent. But you'd like to have already had a few outings under your belt where you kind of felt close to that and you've worked on your command at that percent, because once you get up to 100 percent and have all that adrenaline, 
it can take away from uh, from your command a little bit. Uh, you can overthrow stuff a hair. So, yeah, I, I think that probably the short and spring training didn't do a whole lot of favors. Now, for some guys, it was probably fine, but I, you know, it's probably a couple games short um, for for where you'd really be comfortable. And then, you know, listen, I, I think that that applies more for for guys that are a little bit older. You know, you look at a guy like a Kenley Jansen or Liam Hendricks. Some of these guys that are some of the best in the game. Uh, uh, Craig Kimbrell too. Hey, they, they, at Rolls Chapman, they, they had some rough first games, but I think they're starting to settle in now. Um, but but I don't think uh, you know cutting spring training short doesn't many favors the first game or two of the season. You know, we just had Mo Vaughn on, and he was talking about he he he, he put the season into divided it into certain parts. Like early in the season, he's just trying to get hits. He wanted to get the first two hundred at bats. It was all about average, and he knew because he had power and that bat the ball skill kind of thing. And he starts using the entire field. He'll end up with thirty and a hundred for a closer like you. Is there is do you do that like early in the season? Is it about punch outs? Is it about just getting the job done? Do you have a certain plan early in the season that you that you don't have later in the season? Yeah, that's a good question. I think so, because I think physically later in the season, honestly, you can just, you know, when when probably June rolls around, you know exactly how you're going to feel every single day. You know exactly your routine, long toss, everything else. And I think so you know, somewhere around June, you're just in cruise control. You just want to make sure you're doing maintenance for the rest of the year. But everything you throw should be breaking the same way. All your fastballs should be technically, you know, going to the spot you're trying to get them to. At the beginning of the season, you know, there's you have different weather temperatures also depending mm-hmm. on where you're at. And and honestly, all that kind of factors in onto, you know, into kind of getting your arm feeling normal in terms of, you know, every day you go out there and you know what to expect. And I think that's one of the biggest things is, you know, when you know what to expect out there, then then you know exactly how to execute and how to get people out. But sometimes especially, like I said, at the beginning of the season, you have a real cold day, you're not quite feeling 100%, something's bothering you a little bit, and all of a sudden you're starting to think about that as opposed to you know, putting a hitter away. And as soon as your mind gets out of attack mode and you start thinking about, is this going to feel right, are my mechanics right, then all of a sudden you can really get into some trouble. So, so I would say for the first month of the season or even the first month and a half, if you can get to a spot uh, where mechanically you feel clean, like the ball's coming out of your hand, it's going where you expect then that's great. And then, and then you can start worrying about the strikeouts and everything else as the, as the year rolls on. Uh, you know, it, it's obviously as a closer, you want to punch guys out. You want to be able to get those strikeouts. But I think more importantly, if you're in sync the first month and a half of the season mechanically, then all that stuff comes. So that's really, you're just, it's kind of a battle back and forth early in the season to make sure everything is kind of regular and that uh, there's that consistency there and you know what to expect from your arm every single day. And Brad, uh, Jordan Romano, the, the Jays closer, they've, worked on this really kind of cool light show when he comes into the game and then and, and everything you know they dim the lights they have all, all the the maple leaf stuff going on and i said to barker I said barker when does the hitter know when he's arrived and barker said when you get a bobblehead and i said okay well when does the closer know that he's arrived that does a closer know the show. does a closer know he's arrived when he has a light show like what what when did it when did you become brad lidge the guy who was going to shove it up everybody's ass when did that happen was there a certain time that's a good question. Um, so I think when I so when I first became a closer was 2004. We uh, uh, 2003 we had Billy Wagner closing for us, uh, and we had Octavio Dotel and myself as setup guys. We traded Billy Wagner at the end of that at the end of 03. Dotel became closer, and I was his primary setup guy. And then halfway through the year in 04, uh, he got traded for Carlos Beltran, and I became the closer. And at that point, I'll tell you, you know, everyone was like, okay, you know, you should be able to get it done. 
all good. I had so much freaking adrenaline my first three or four outings. I was just throwing the ball everywhere. I mean, my velocity was higher than it had ever been because of that adrenaline, but every single outing was a little bit of a battle. So um, I think there was a stretch, maybe probably in, um, in July, where I ran off, uh, you know, and I think, I think the trade happened uh, somewhere, somewhere at the end of June. So maybe, the, you know, somewhere at the end of July, beginning of August, maybe even midway through August, where I started really getting locked in and I started controlling that adrenaline and I ripped off a bunch of saves in a row with a bunch of, you know, strikeouts to go with them. And then I think there was a radio show in Houston where someone was like, we got to get this guy a nickname. Hmm. Uh, you know, this is just not, uh, you know, Lidge just kind of sounds weird or whatever. So they, uh, somebody came up with Lights Out Lidge and then uh, all of a sudden that kind of took off a little bit and they started doing <laughs> that kind of laser show, light show, whatever you want to call it when I came into the games. And I think at that point, I mean, you, you want to talk about adrenaline overload. Probably the first night they did that for me, uh, once again, I probably walked about three or four guys. But, uh, you know, it was, it was an incredible uh, feeling. I, I think that for me is when I kind of felt like I had arrived uh, maybe somewhere at the end of August of that first year I was closing where – um, where I felt like people were taking notice and, uh, and, and I felt, you know, my arm felt electric that year in 2004. So, um, it, it was, it was a pretty fun whole thing and little video show when I came out to pitch. I think that's where a closer knows because really, you know, up until then, uh, the reason they don't make a light show or a laser show is because they're really not hundred percent sure you're going to be closing for, <laughs> for uh, you know, extended period of time. But as, you know, as soon as they feel comfortable, okay, yeah, he should be able to get the job done for a while. Then they'll start doing some of that. Then the fans can start getting into the groove and getting excited when you come into the game. And again, it just kind of like, you know, just, just increases the adrenaline even more. So 2008, you had 48 saves and 48 chances. I think your blow and save was in the all-star game. If I'm not mistaken in 2008, oh, it, yeah, it, was, it was a lot. It was a loss in the all-star game. It was, it was oh. two to two when I came in or something like that. Okay. I can't remember what the scores. It was a loss, but yeah, right. I, I mean, the, honestly, same type of thing. Yeah. That was a, that, that's a pretty good year. 48 and 48. Jordan's on a roll <laughs> right now. Um, the closers, what's a closer's role like compared to a, to, you know, to a hitting streak? What is it? What is a closer streak like? Uh, it, well, that's a great question. And I think the thing for a closer is you can kind of hide in that streak during the course of the year, uh, because, you know, a lot of closers have had streaks through, um, most of a season. Um, I think there's been, if I'm not mistaken, four seasons where a closer has not blown any saves. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it just so happened that I was the only one uh, on that particular year where I didn't, where our team also went to the playoffs. Uh, otherwise, that hadn't uh, happened before, where a guy, you know, didn't blow any and his team went to the playoffs. Right. So I will tell you that in September and what, so for for the for the regular season it wasn't a big deal. As soon as the end of September rolls around and that you know that Philly media and that New York media, everybody else starts coming down and they see we're going to be in the postseason. The amount of questions I had to ask about that streak or had to answer about that streak was just crazy, and it just kept snowballing uh, as we get into the postseason. Oh, wouldn't it be a hell of a time to blow your first save now with everything on the line? Oh, and you're in the World Series. Oh, man, have you thought about the streak? You know, have you thought about how bad it would be to blow your first one in the World Series? And, you know, that type of thing. So, you know, all of a sudden the questions start getting uh, really, uh, uh, you know, kind of about that all the time. But I was, I was in a good mental spot that year, a good mental process of, of, you know, what I needed to do when I go, went out and faced the hitters. I really didn't think too much about it at all uh, when I was on the field, but it was hard to avoid it, uh, like I said, at the end of the year uh, and in, in the playoffs when, when, you know, that was, a, that was a lot of the questions that were being asked uh, to me. Yeah, you also pitched the clinching game of the World Series. I'm sure many of those questions were prefaced with, Brad, I don't want to jinx you, but dot, 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 right? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, from, the, from, right, from our local media, right, from the guys in Philly, yeah, you know they they uh, you know they're they're wanting to win that World Series, but you know when the national media starts coming in and stuff, then they start asking you about everything. And 
so yeah, I mean, you know, it's so then it becomes more like a like a hitting streak, I guess. But of course, I mean, I'm not gonna you know kid, kid us here. I mean, a hitting streak, if you start getting close to uh, to anything significant there, especially with uh, how that's becoming more and more rare, that's going to be a lot more of an issue of focus, uh, even in a regular season. Mm-hmm. If a guy starts you know crossing the 30 35 barrier. Okay, so you got to take me with, to, to inside the ears of a, of a bullpen guy coming out of the bullpen. I'm not so much saying a, a closer, but we're going to set this up with you. So when lights out Lidge was lights out Lidge and the shift, say a left-handed hitter come up and he was a dead pull hitter and that second baseman, you know, will say that the shortstop was going a little into right field and everybody moved over and the third base was lined up where the shortstop's at. But that's not lights out Lidge's strength. He is a, you know, I'm going to go to this spot. I'm not going to go to pitch to the shift. Take right. me inside the right. mi- Take me inside the mind of that. How hard is that to do to pitch to the shift to go outside of who you are as a pitcher? Well, I think it's really hard, and I think you have to be really careful with that. If, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a manager, if you're a pitching coach, if you're, you know, putting the shift on, you have to know who's on the mound, and you have to know that if you're an established closer in the game, uh, you know, and, and you know exactly what your strengths are, and a guy's a good, you know, hits the slider well, you're still going to throw your slider, and you're still going to try and get the guy out with that pitch. Because I always think, you know, scouting reports are great, but when you're locked in, you go with your strengths, never the hitter's weakness, and so you know, you're going to want to go out there and still try and strike that dude out now. If a manager wants to shift some guys behind me, go, you know, go for it. But I'm not changing how I'm pitching to a hitter because if I start changing that, then all of a sudden I'm not going to have success anyways. So, you know, regardless of if there's a shift on, the guy's, li- uh, you know, liable to lo- uh, launch one out of the ballpark, um, I'm going to go with my strengths. And I'll be honest, I was kind of fortunate in that not too often was there a shift behind me when I was pitching. I do remember, I will tell you ironically, the, the save, I think I was at 54 straight saves, something like that, somewhere around there. 51, 54, and the save I blew, uh, we had a shift going on um, with a right-handed hitter, and uh, Ryan Howard was playing basically somewhere between first and second base, and a ball was hit. A uh, ground ball was hit kind of slow uh, toward first base, and he had to kind of get all the way over. And uh, by the time he got the ball and flipped it to me at first base, the runner was safe, uh, and that guy scored from uh, third base and ended up being a blown save. So I hated the shift. I was like, don't ever put that thing on again. But um, it is something that's – yeah, I think starting pitchers understand, maybe even other guys out of the bullpen understand how to kind of pitch with it and maybe use that to, you know, to, against the hitter a little bit to try and take advantage of the hitter's weakness. But for most closers, certainly for a guy like Romano, you're going out there and you're throwing 110% and you don't really, you know, you're trying to punch the dudes out, honestly. You're not, you're not thinking too much about getting a weak ground ball into the shift on this side because then all of a sudden you're not going to be pitching like your normal self anyway. Brad, listen, really good of you to join us today. Terrific insight as always. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brad. All right, guys. Yeah, you bet. Have a good one. You too. That's Brad Lidge, MLB Network, and uh, former. uh, I was going to. I mean, calling him a former MLB closer doesn't doesn't do him justice. I covered him that year, two thousand eight, that postseason, and I and he's right. Like you know, you don't you don't blow a save for a year, and you you pitch the clinching game of the World Series. People are going to be asking you about that. You, you, People what? are going to be in, in your grill all the time about it. You got a nickname, like lights out, Lidge. Yeah. Well, I mean, once you have a nickname, like I think you made he was, it. I think you made it. Yeah, that, he was nasty. That, I, that, I just, did I you just, ever face? Did you face him at all? I don't, I don't think so. I don't remember facing him. If I did, his I, slider was. I think. Oof. I think. Uh, I, I just remember Very. the one he hung to pull holes, and pull holes went out in front and. Into the uh, into the orange. I yeah. covered that game. It went into the train. You know that that silly mm. train that goes across Minute Maid Park went over there. Well, I mean, if you're going to give it up, you might as well. It give went it out up. of the stadium.
Yeah, you might as well give it up. I, I just think that would be weird if it, to actually be standing on the mound and actually give a defense a chance to move drastically. What goes through a pitcher's mind of, now I have to do something differently. You, and and that's uh, Brad could do that because he's established. But you've also got to think, don't you, that... that Everybody can't do that. But for a, a, a closer, look, by definition, when a closer is in the game, the game is in the balance. You're either trying to protect the lead. I, I, I don't know. Would you be less? Would you be less reluctant, or would you be more reluctant as a manager to shift? Like, aren't there some things you're going to do late in the game with the, with, with nursing a lead? Are you going to guard the line more? I don't you think. I, I don't think in today's game they they have so many tendencies on what these guys are doing, no matter who they're facing, and you know the bat plane adds up to he throws yeah. this pitch. He's going to normally hit it to this guy this many times. Like they know exactly where to put these guys. Most of the time you see a ball, a linea hit somewhere. Also, normally a guy standing right also there. Also, most of the time though, isn't a closer, closer is going to be a two pitch guy. Generally I, fastball I, plus something else. I right? guess, but it's that fact of if I, to a left-handed hitter, yeah. let a ball leak out over the plate and he lets That's the ball fair. travel and a 17 hopper goes through the, the left side of the infield. Now I'm thinking I can't do that anymore. I got to make sure mechanically that I get it in there. Like, yeah. I just wondering what that's like. Again, I, I think it's a it's a bottom line too. If you're a closer, you're looking to punch guys out. You're not looking for balls in play if maybe, you're a closer. Maybe, but you're is, looking to punch guys out. But it is still a distraction. It is something it you have to, to get past. And not everybody has the 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 longer leash that it's okay that if you don't pay any attention, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. only thinking about what you're doing. Hey, uh, game doesn't work that way anymore for most people anyway. No, that's uh, but that, that is, is a, man. We got you got a hitter side of it. And you got a, a an elite closer side of it, man. That's a I, what more do the fans want to listen to than two guys that have been there and done it for? He he was something else. I was just I would as Brad was talking, I was going back and doing some reading over the the 2008 postseason, the 2008 season. That's sick. Yeah, he's that, locked that, in. Forty eight, forty eight. That is. It's rare that you're locked in doing everything, knowing how to set your seasons up. It's just interesting to listen to experienced established baseball players that map out their seasons yeah. of how they're going to go about each month. I, it's, it's, I think it's intriguing. I think to. there is more of that. More of that goes on, I think, than, than a lot of people realize. And I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure guys sit down and like write out on a piece of paper. Okay. The first month I want to do this second month. I want to do this, but I think mentally, mentally, a hitter's definition of going well depends on the type of year. Depends on when the season I did, is. I did it. I, I I used to have a a sort of a roadmap to to hitting my okay, mechanics, well, what I was going to do, walk us what through I that. wanted first to do. Month each, of the, first month, month, first month of the of the season, what did Kevin Barker want to do? Play, plate awareness. If I if I knew where the plate was at because my mechanics and and I was a I was a big get it back more like mm-hmm. like movement back and I, that a lot of the times messed me up because I had a lot of ground to make up. Right. And I knew if I knew where the plate was at, I would have success because I I had power. Like if I was creating backspin and I could get it out front, I was going to hammer you somewhere. And that's what I would, I would go home and I would have the little map up there and I would put down how many times I would take certain pitches on the plate that would tell me if I can continue to get that down to all the time, not mm-hmm. some of the time, all the time. I got a good chance of going to that big league level. And if I go to the big leagues, that means I'm doing all those things right. You know what time it is, Lance? 
It is that time of the show. It's time for Barker's Back Leg Bits. We said Barker's Bits, not Baker. <laughs> Played awareness. Never where played. was that game? So you don't Dominican, even know where the game was. Dominican, How the hell can you tell me you know Dominican. where played awareness is? What? Dominican Republic. It could be anywhere. You asked me the Dominican where it was Republic. Well, you I mean, asked me the team and what day it was and what year. I mean, I played over there a lot. This is from Brad Kuypers, this question for Kevin Barker. It is Barker's back leg bits. Again, I will uh, send out a notice every morning. DMs are open. and Second thing you do, you get second up. Second thing. <laughs> yes, it is. Second thing I do when I get up. Maybe third thing I do when I get up. And uh, we want you to submit questions for Kevin Barker. Then I will turn it over to Kevin and we can plumb the recesses of his of his brain. This is from ba- Brad Kuypers, who identifies himself as a Kiwi. That mm. means he's from New Zealand. There you go. Uh, that has followed the Jay since 2005. I don't know what this means. He says, love your show with Barker, and it's even better now than it's that it's a podcast. My wife thinks I'm crazy. I, I, I don't know what to make of that. But anyhow, his question is, with Teoscar Hernandez now under an injury cloud or now injured, is now not a good time to get a long-term deal done with him? As a player, isn't there security? And the Jays, would, might that player give the Jays, you know, a, a, a bit of a discount as an elite player because he's hurt? Absolutely uh, not. Th- th- yeah, Brad, I, I appreciate the uh, mm-hmm. appreciate the the tax. I will... I will tell you that I've thought about Teoscar's contractual status kind of a great deal because it's a little more in front of us, I think, than than Bo and Vladdy's necessarily. Um, and your point about a discount, look look at Teoscar's career. Unlike Vladdy or Bo, I mean, Teoscar, basically the Houston Astros said, we don't want this guy. We don't know what to make of him. Yeah. They basically threw him away to the Blue Jays. When he first came to the Blue Jays, the Jays didn't know exactly what they had either. He's a little older. And he's established himself and had a couple of good years. So the question is maybe do you approach him and say, hey, look, let's talk about locking you up long term, giving you some security. Because in your case, you know, it's one thing to have an injury if, if Bo or Vladdy get hurt and they're 22, 23 or whatever. It's another thing to get hurt when you're 26, 27, 28. It depends on the individual player, Kevin. But I, does Teoscar strike you as the type of guy that really – would be all that interested in giving a hometown discount Ooh. to him. He's got a sense of his value. Yeah, yeah, th- I, and I think, too, he's not – he doesn't think he's respected throughout the league. I, I think he still thinks he has a lot to prove, and he takes it upon himself to protect Flatty, which is a – it's a tall order. You know, mm-hmm. we heard Shy on here talking about Lourdes, and they, they think about it. Like, it's, a, it's something, and for him to be able to have the years that he's had back-to-back, he thinks that he should be paid a little bit. And if it's not for, with the Blue Jays, it'll be with somebody. We'll give him. I have no idea what the number is. I, for me, anyway, I think who there's there's a pecking order on who should be paid first, and he ain't the guy. He, he to me, he's only the guy if you think it's going to be easy to get a deal done with him. And and I, I don't know if I'm Teoscar. Look, he he obviously loves playing in Toronto. He knows that as long as he's part of this lineup, he's going to have Bo and Vladdy around him. But these guys, man, baseball players are, are real optimists. Like, they are. Baseball, we've talked about this. I could never be a baseball player because I'm not optimistic enough. I couldn't go 0 for 5 and, and go, ah, you know, I got four more chances tomorrow. Maybe I'll go 2 for 4 and, tomorrow. And, Brad, you got to ask yourself, too, if you're, if you're in a business where you think you're really good at it and you've got one time to make as much money yep. as you can possibly make, you taking a discount? Yeah. 
Absolutely not. You're gonna you're gonna milk that as much as you possibly can. Doesn't say anything bad about the player. No, Freddie Freeman just did it. And I, and I'll tell you what, I can see if I'm Tay Oscar, my approach would be, I'll go to free agency and I'll give the Jays a chance to sign me. If I really, 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 really want to stay in Toronto, and if I'm if I want to do it to the point where I am going to give a hometown discount, I can do that as a free agent. But let me see what the interest is in me first. And then let me see if let me see how much of a discount I need to give. I mean, if if there's a lot of interest in me more than I think and the Jays are making me an offer and I feel like I can give them a hometown discount, maybe it's easier to give somebody a hometown discount of whatever, 5% when you know that there's somebody else willing to pay a $28 million. Yeah. Uh, you, you have a better idea of what the market value is for you. So, yeah, I, I think if I'm Tay Oscar, I'm going to let it play out. Uh, don't forget, Blair and Barker will be on Blue Jays Talk immediately following tonight's game between the Jays and Red Sox. We will be back tomorrow from 10 to noon on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet 360. Put the bat down, Barker. You make me nervous. We're available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Have a great day, everybody.